0: Um, I'm just curious about the different world and how, how you see those. So, how I see the different worlds? Yes. When it comes to the different worlds, I I think I wrote a bit about that in Amor, in the book Amor. The different worlds in the Andean cosmovision they express the world the different worlds through animals. So there's the snake world, the puma world, and the condor world. And in the snake world, we're working through muddy stuff. We're working through the deeper stuff, as Freud might have said, uh, the basement of the psyche. And also the intuitive world, the, the child world, the uncorruptible world. In a world where there's nothing wrong about shit and sex and play and fun and uninhibited expression in the way that a child might express awe if they see something... blows them away they're not going to be reserved about it. it's a very unreserved raw place Um, the middle world the puma world being a place where if we're having a middle world experience usually it it will look very much the way that every day looks except sort of a shadow of it so seeing seeing our stuff seeing the, the world that we live in as it really is, sort of with the blinders peeled off, with the rose-colored glasses taken off, seeing how we really show up in the world and how people really show up in the world and the state of how the world really is. Um, we did a ceremony, not the most recent May, but the May before, um, where a lot of people had that middle world kind of experience where... They were just seeing the, the shadows of everything. Seeing and really feeling things that we file away under the price of progress. So, oh yeah, we'll cut down the old growth forests. That's the price of progress. Oh yeah, we'll we'll let the salmon and the grizzly bears die and we'll let the polar ice caps melt. And that's just the price of progress. And it's like the world with all the justification peeled away and seeing the the exposed truth of, both ourselves and the world around us. Um, So it's a way where we can really understand more deeply how we relate to the world, why we do the things we do, why people do the things they do, why we allow the things to happen that we allow, and really connecting with them in a deep emotional way, rather than flippantly dismissing whatever is actually really not okay it's a great way it's a great place to reclaim personal power because in that space you can see what has been hurting that you've been ignoring so i've been letting this person whoever it is i've been letting walter walk all over me and i've not connected with how painful that is not connected with how completely not okay that is and so it can be healing by exposing ourselves to ourselves, exposing our choices, exposing our um, the ways that we distract ourselves, whether we distract ourselves with TV and work or if we distract ourselves by meditating all day and uh, being a spiritual snob, all the different ways that we bypass having the raw deep emotions that exist within us. And the upper world um, It's like um, going back to the metaphor of the animals. If you're crawling on your belly, you can't see very much. You can't see the canopy. You can't see... I mean, snakes don't have particularly good eyesight. You're experiencing everything through this writhing, visceral experience of just feeling and tasting and smelling everything, not really seeing or hearing with ears. Uh, When we're experiencing the Puma consciousness, the Puma consciousness is more or less as you see the world you have eyes you have ears you can't see the forest for the trees you can't see where the path is taking you you're following the path because it smells right it looks right you can smell that there's prey ahead whatever your goal is your goal is up ahead you're following it you're following the hunting path you're following the river you're following an ingrained pattern and you are, you are more free to explore. You can go places as a puma that you can't go as a snake. You can see more, you have a broader scope, you have mammalian emotion and relation to the world, but you cannot see the truly expanded vision. And so the condor consciousness is very much about that expanded vision, seeing for as far as the eye can see, seeing everything all at once seeing the mountain, seeing the ocean, seeing the canopy, seeing the tiny critter that might be your lunch crawling along the ground. And you can come back from that consciousness and descend and take your lunch and then you're going back and soaring among the thermals. Just riding the waves of heat with your broad wings and seeing it all. And in that place is a great place to understand your path in life. Where do you really want to go? It's like when you fly so high that you're up near the clouds, you can see, oh, I was going in this direction, that's taking me to the swamp. If I just make every day, and a lot of this work, it's about making little choices every day. There are big choices, and especially this work is powerful at catalyzing these (coughs) big changes and these big choices, but those big changes and big choices need to be done every day. If I just take this path, this fork, this fork, this fork, this fork, at all these choice points, then I'll end up at the peak of this mountain or at this beautiful spring rather than ending up in the swamp. Um, there are not so many issues around this world. Um, there aren't so many um, challenges to overcome. They, yeah, an experience in that world from that perspective, or that perspective tends to be beautiful, light, airy, free, unobstructed, and unlike being stuck in the jungle path. Or forest path you can you can go anywhere you can go up down left right there's the only thing stopping you is your imagination everything is at your disposal and the perhaps the biggest challenge with that is the expansion of the heart and the expansion of the mind that's required to maintain that broad vision throughout life day to day that you it's very hard to have that expanded vision all the time it's so easy uh, i'm speaking you know very personally on this it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day bullshit that just is dragging us back down and the 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 greatest thing we can hope for is, could say, to be um, a tree with deep roots and high branches and no trunk. Existing in those two places at the same time. Being able to be that creature that's on the ground and making those good decisions based on the guidance from that higher wisdom. And I think that that's what... A lot of this work is about is taking that higher wisdom and integrating it into our lives, being connected with the source, being connected with all that is, in the way that it guides us, and being guided by it. There's a the first time the first time I ever participated in, in an ayahuasca ceremony, someone said to me, um, "If you see Buddha on the path." You must kill him immediately and the idea is that we can also we can get lost in those experiences and uh there's nothing wrong with that in a from a certain perspective looking at some of the some of the great saints some of the great masters like um ramakrishna and people like that they really just lived in that ascended place almost all the time forgetting to eat forgetting to bathe forgetting to sleep just spending their days in rapture Uh, and you could say well why not well you wouldn't accomplish very much but what else is there to accomplish so that's the Mm -hmm. counterpoint that's the counter argument to that why not if you can why not spend all of your time in that state and the tricky part with that is then we can become deluded And unhinged, and the vast majority of us are not advanced to a point where that would really serve our souls. It wouldn't, and again, bringing it back to the more grounded traditional shamanic principles how does that fit into your tribe? How does that fit into your village, into your family, into your clan? If you're just up there in the clouds all the time, like a cloud that's just blowing in every direction, how does that benefit your tribe, your ancestors, your descendants? How does that benefit them? If you can do that in such a way that you're not abandoning this world, to be in this world but not of it, that's really the goal. If there is a goal, if there is a goal in this practice, in the mystery traditions, in the shamanic traditions, if there's a goal, uh, it might be to attempt to be in this world, but not of it. To so be to, to
1: have the perspective of the condor, but going about your everyday life without getting caught up in the bullshit? Is yes, that essential? exactly.
0: To, to maintain the broad perspective, but to chop wood and carry water. Mm-hmm.
1: At the same time, would you say that those beings that were kind of the R- R- Ramakrishna beings are here as an archetype for us to see that this is what that ascended life is like, but this is all it is but they, they had to just be it so then we could see oh when we're in that state we won't care about our physical body but at the same time that's how you'll know you'll be like oh that's why I understand now that's why that person did that but I'm not going to choose to just be that I'm going to choose to go back or descend again and ride that wave or something
0: yeah, I think at least in my view, those people are like lighthouses. Lighthouses, yes, exactly. They they're shining their light on us, and the closer we get to them, the more time the light is on us. the The brighter the light is, the closer the light is. <laughs> well, that was true. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Yeah, as soon as I said that, the sun went away. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, so that they are they are an archetype that says to us that say to us. this is an experience, this is real, this is concrete and I mean if you like for me just looking into the eyes of a picture of someone like Ramakrishna um, can bring a a state of rapture and devotion and love and gratitude because just looking in the eyes it's like they're a madman, he's a madman, he's just insane with love, (laughs) love has driven him insane (coughs) his love for the divine.
1: Do you think that the I feel like those beings were always very grounded yet didn't lack that middle world. They were mm-hmm. very here mm-hmm. and now and very like spacey but not concerned with the yes. middle. So is that exactly. what you were saying too? like a like a okay. tree with yeah, roots okay. okay leaves
0: everything. no trunk. Cool. They're not concerned with the middle middle world stuff. They don't they couldn't care less. And that's the They're not bothered. They're out. not bothered at all.
1: And that's to balance us out because we're only concerned with the most of us worlds, are very so it helps focused on that okay cool
0: my perspective is that if i give you a hammer you can build a house or smash someone in the head so if you that's why that saying of you must if you meet buddha on the path you must kill him immediately it's it's to say thank you for the gift but i'm going to kill you and move on on my journey because if you just hang out with buddha all day on the path then you're not on your path anymore you're stuck so you can say wow Buddha whoever thank you for meeting me on the path now I'm gonna carry on with whatever you've taught me maybe we can how about if I meet you on the path can we walk a little ways together it's a problem and this is something that sadly I've seen a lot uh, even just this year people who are completely disconnected because they've found something so dazzling these dazzling lights that they get lost in the brightness they're not really on their path anymore they are they see the brightness they see the expansion they see the beauty um, and they get stuck in that it's kind of like you walk into a field that's suddenly perfectly beautiful and for a long long time just dancing around in the field without continuing to actually go somewhere where you can experience something to bring back to your village and especially in that context going somewhere it's not even it's like going to a dazzling beautiful field that's just breathtaking and then accidentally falling into a pool of molten lava where it's something that that appears beautiful but it's it's a trap it's deadly or stepping on a landmine because those people, I'm not talking about people who go somewhere, see something beautiful and then bring the wisdom back to their tribe because we all want to bring those beautiful, that beautiful wisdom back to the tribe uh, in the same way that I'm intending to bring it to you now. It's going to those places and being destroyed like Icarus flying into the sun, being destroyed by the height, destroyed by the beauty. So those so if you meet those beautiful experiences, Um, I believe your question was, if you meet those experiences, are they trying to distract us on the path? I don't think so. It's how we take it. It's what we do with it. I can be distracted. They're not responsible for my journey. If I have a vision or an experience or a dream of something profoundly beautiful, I can't blame that thing that being, that experience for what I choose to do with it. I have free will to do what I will with what I learn and experience. So if I see a beautiful field and I, and I don't lose myself, I don't uh, disperse myself, then I can bring it back. Um, it reminds me of, uh, of a beautiful piece of art that, I, that was made by um, a Huichol artist from the, um, the mountains in Mexico. And it's a man, and the top of his head is kind of dissolving, and his m- mouth is wide open. And there's a, there are snakes around his neck. And the meaning is that within their tradition, I've been told that they go on these very long pilgrimages where they live on a very high plateau. They descend down into the valley. They go up the other side of the valley to another plateau where all the peyote grows and they'll harvest months or maybe even a year's worth of peyote. And then they'll bring it back down the valley and back up into their tribe. And I've been told uh, that at least traditionally, they didn't didn't eat anything on this pilgrimage. It was fasting for the whole pilgrimage. And that they believed that if they maintained their focus on their gods, on their mythology, on their intentions while they were going through this ordeal, and I'm certain that it was an ordeal, that that animals wouldn't hurt them, that jaguars and snakes wouldn't attack them, that they would be protected through their vigilance, through the process, to accomplish their goal and bring the treasures back to their village. But if they lost if they lost their determination, their warrior spirit, then they would be attacked by Jaguars and snakes and their mind would disso- their mind would dissolve and so they're attacked at the throat by snakes.
1: I wanted to just add about those beings. I think the um the ones like Krishna and stuff are here to like, actually inspire us, right? So mm-hmm. like, as we were saying, you can choose to have whatever experience from anything. So if you always choose inspiration from all things that you you meet, you're going to be inspired on your own path. But a lot of people are kind of a lot so lost on their path. And when people meet these ultra inspiring beings, it just goes to show how lost we all are on our own paths when we decide to just sit and worship this person. You know, yeah. the only thing that's quite odd is how some of those beings will get also lost in that worship of themselves but that's another topic but yeah
0: they say that the brighter the light of the guru the longer the shadow he casts